to this week's episode of the Get Ready Podcast. This week, we break down the psychology of money with my pal and my co-host, Grant. Grant, are you excited? God, you have no idea. I'm excited. It's book club. What do you know about book club? Book we, get, club. We, have, we have different theme music. We um, we just talk about this a book every once in a while. We had a couple books before that we loved. The Infinite Game uh, was one. What was the last book we read? Uh, what was um, the what is the last book we read? I don't even remember. So I just I just kind of read through them. <laughs> they all just blend together. Yeah, that um, does. Traction. Does. Traction. Book. I loved it so much I forgot it that quickly. Yeah. It's just, it was yeah, good. It's, like, it's just like part of me now, you know? It was very ta- yeah, it was very tactful. This one was awesome because it's about money. And I think uh, a lot of our listeners, and if anybody knows us, all we do is talk about money. So it was really the narrative of our life. And it was a book written down. Obviously, I don't believe in everything it said, but... Uh, the book made a lot of cool points about money and just wealth and currency and all that. So what do you think, Josh? I mean, that was your first instinct when you read this book and uh, what was it like when you finished it? I really liked it because it hit on some like different concepts. Everyone thinks getting rich is like a a method and a process and like a hard science. And the quote I'm going to read when we get started shows it's not like it's all like, and it's different for all types of different people. Um, And it's like, well, for one, getting wealthy, like your definition and your goals are different than my definition and my goals. And most people like don't look at it that way. You know, they look at, you know, someone in a bigger house or someone in a nicer car. Um, it was just a really kind of interesting and really kind of made me check myself to make sure, hey, Josh, what are your goals and what are your goalposts? And it talks about the goalposts of moving and it really helped me kind of just ground myself and say, all right, let's take a step back and think from this from a well, what's enough perspective? And then really trying to work back through that enough. That was pretty good. I, I, my Mine's not that thorough. I would say mine was a little more, like it was awesome to think about money because, he, you know, it's really the only field of study where, where like people like you and I and everyone else in the world that can just be successful or non-successful with really no background knowledge. Like it's, it's cool because it's, you know, you can get into any industry you know, basketball, name the industry. And really there's a lot of variables that, that you need to be in your favor, maybe hereditarily or just like where your starting line was and all that. But money and a lot, it helps if you have a starting line of a couple million dollars, but people anywhere in America and anywhere in the world today, not anywhere in the world, because I, I don't really understand other countries' jurisdictions. But uh, in America, if you want to get rich, you, you have a pretty good opportunity to do it if you, if you just get hyper-focused on something. And uh, you know, Morgan Housel goes through this whole entire book and he gives, he starts off the example with how a janitor, you know, passed away at the end of her life with pretty much nothing that everyone thought she had nothing. And uh, she had $7 million invested in her bank account. And then they, they compared her to a hedge fund manager who was at Merrill Lynch and declared bankruptcy. And those two had completely different lifestyles. And how did this all happen? So uh, it was an interesting book to me. I love money. I love how people make money, how they use money. It's just, yeah, I was, it was right up my alley. Yeah, I think, uh, too, one thing we want to be sure that the listeners kind of understand is we're not talking about like being rich in terms of like having a super nice car and this and that. We, t- we typically we use loosely use the term rich to just mean like well off and kind of that that monetary freedom where you are secure, you're you feel comfortable, you can go out to dinner whenever you want, you can. um what am I, you don't have to worry about a flat tire. Like a flat tire sucks, but you have the thousand dollars. That's what we really mean by being rich. At least that's what I kind of mean. 
Yeah, not even Rich. I mean, think about you and I. Like, I, we were talking about this the other day in passing. It's just a different conversation point. But I asked you, I was like, how nice is it to wake from the morning and just know your bills are on auto pay? Like, auto pay yeah. is, is the feature that uh, financial freedom and those people who have it use. That's what that feature is for, if you wanted to know. I remember when my bills weren't on auto pay. And I remember, and I know what it's like now and it's it's much nicer but uh, great points i think let's go ahead and jump jump into it and he talks about the intro and you kind of alluded to this like it's the greatest show on earth like you know financial success is not a hard science it's a soft skill where you be where how you behave is more important than what you know like that's a really good point like i mean i think about think about like at the poker table right it's not about necessarily knowing how to play the cards, knowing what all the odds are and being able to read your opponent very well. Most people, what happens to them is they go on tilt and that's what makes a really bad poker player. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it firsthand. You've probably played what 10,000 hands of poker. Would you say, I mean, you, you're pretty, pretty liberal in that sport or in that craft or, or what have you. Let's yeah. I mean, when you do something enough, you, you behave a little differently. You become an expert in that field to, to a degree. Yeah, and, when, and two, it's like not going on tilt. It's like he talks about like understanding, like do not, like you can't let your emotions, like most people, unfortunately, they have access and they look at their investments. I remember looking and I made an investment and it went down to, I invested like 2000 bucks. That's not a lot, but it went down to $300. What was it's going like, on oh, here? Exactly. No, it hurt. And the more it hurt and yeah, I wanted to sell, but like you have to sit there and say like, no, if you sell, like you're just a, you're just a loser. I'd rather go <laughs> down with the ship. You know, I'm going, sir, you know, I'm, gentlemen, wear your best threads. We're going down with the ship. That's right? funny that's, you say that. Cause I, I a thousand percent agree with this. Now, I mean, when you ask someone like, where do they get their information on stocks or just however they made some of their money, a lot of people, uh, they, they go to the news or media or Twitter and that, you know, the whole finance industry talks way too much about like what to do with your money and not about what happens if like what's in your head when you're trying to do it. Like, Hey man, like you want to go, this is how you make this money instead of like, Hey, what's going through your head and what do you, what are those signals or triggers in your mind that would make you think, all right, this is a good investment for me or a good way to double or triple my money. You know, you go through and you make it, I'm, I'm going to just say that you make a core decision to make this investment um given a certain constraint and then you have to say when something's going wrong what's changed about that investment is it the environment like when COVID happened it's like okay well yeah we're going to be shut down for a handful of months but that doesn't mean we're not coming back out of this like (laughs) we're eventually going to go shopping you know and we eventually things are going to go back to normal everyone's saying oh no they're not yada 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 just talk to real people that are saying that and most people get you know fooled by the media, but that's because I think they're not listen like they're not talking to people. They're just listening to people you know extrapolate or pontificate for others. Like talk to real people. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to travel again. Are you? I am. Uh, thousand percent. I, I I'm a we're a little on the younger side, so to us we're you know as you know. Not so, not so conservative on the diseases <laughs> in the world, but you know, maybe we'll just apply this knowledge to you when we talked about like what's going on in your head when you're making this investment. So like the first time you bought Bitcoin, right. And took the, took the leap and, and absorbing or acquiring something you literally didn't know much about. I mean, you knew enough about it, but nowhere to what you know today. So like what was going through your head? Cause that was a risky investment in your mind, right? You had to like, you probably did it in 2017, 2016, since I've known you. Yeah, my first investment was at fourteen five, and it was as if 
you know, oh, here we go. We're going to make a bunch of money really quick. Oh, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to hold on to this forever. I had already bought the vision. So I knew enough about it. And, but then I buy and it's 14.5 and it just plummets, 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 all the way down to three. But luckily, you know, I already had known that this is like something I believe in. And I don't think that's going to change. And just because other people don't believe in it yet doesn't mean that they won't eventually. I look at, I made an investment in Square at IPO. IPO jumped to 13. So the first investment I made, I was like, I'm betting, you know, one whole paycheck. And I, I lived relatively paycheck to paycheck when I did this, but I was like, you know what? I believe in it. The stock went down to eight and it went there for a long time. And <laughs> like you know, a year, is, right? Yeah. For like a year. Uh, and it's like, this is, you know, knowing how to do something is insufficient. In many situations, you also need to battle against your internal, emotional, and mental turmoil, as well as which will influence or alter your planned response. I mean, we are emotional creatures. Like, you can't deny that. And that's when I say when you go on tilt, like, no, this place should have been right. You know, this is just kind of what it goes back to is, well, what are you going to do when things don't work out like you had planned? Do you believe in your core principles? Do you believe in what you actually, the investment you made, or are you just chasing, are you just fluttering in the wind? That's a good play out of words, the whole psychology aspect of that, of like fight or flight. Like what happened when, you know, Square went to eight? What happened when Bitcoin dropped to 3,500 this past March and Josh had quite a bit of it? Like it was a little more fight. He was like, you know, I'm in. I'm like, I'm Antifa. We're doing it. Like I'm here till that. <laughs> it's survival at this point, as opposed to some people, which, you know, the internet, Reddit, those, that whole group or gaggle of uh, investors call it weak hands, right? Isn't that what they call it on the internet? If you have weak hands, you're more of a flight person. So like say you have an option call for, you know, three months from now and your investments are already down 25%. Some people might just call it and take the, try to recoup whatever money they have, but if they hold it, they might win in the end, but you'll never know. So people like to bow out in the first and second quarter financially. at least. I think you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think part of it is people overreach. Like what I put into these investments, like, yeah, I said, I took a little risk on square, but I knew I was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Like I knew I was just going to, all right, maybe I had to, like I was never planning on using that money to buy anything I needed. And that's what people have to do. And what they'll do is they put a lot of their money or they're older and they put a lot of their savings into the stock market to try mm-hmm. to make up some lost time. And you know what? It drops like 30, 40%. Like it did in COVID, they bail, but then the, the, the federal reserve comes and bails them out and they're like, Oh man. And <laughs> they're like, well, I can't get back now. I already lost money. And they just, you know, they just kind of sit on their hands and take even more losses. I'm not even so convinced though that those people who, you know, are trying to play catch up are doing it right. Like I think from an investment standpoint, I know like it takes a while to make money. We all understand that time is a variable, but uh, a lot of those people try to play the hard game of like penny stocks and pink sheets and like, the area where they think, Hey, if this thing jumps hundred percent, like I just made 25 grand. And like, you're like, that's just, those aren't stable places. And that's where you lose your money at a 30 to 40%. Like if you were to put money into, I know March happened, but that's an anomaly. Like that doesn't, that's a very unique perspective of, of COVID. The general, you know, trend of a, of a stock market, more or less, if you're putting money into the fortune 500 companies, you're, you're probably, you're probably okay. Never going to lose 30 to 40% because stocks only go up, right? <laughs> In the long term, absolutely. But you, you hit a couple keep, you hit a really good point. Like these people who go bust or, over leverage themselves or go out on a limb too far. They're not like I've invested in square. 
I don't know about you, but I went to all every food truck that summer and every one of them was using a square adapter. So yeah, that's insane. The market might not like them, but they're here and they're making money. So I decided to ride with them. I'm like, you know, I'm going down with the ship. And luckily the ship took off and it was a rocket and it's at, you know, $200 a share. Now got out early to, to buy some other stuff, but that's part, that's part of it too. So I think, um, you know, we've kind of introed this in a pretty good spot. I'm going to walk right into chapter one and he says like, no one's crazy. So I'm just going to read a, a quip from there, you know, and this is what I, I really thought was interesting right out the gate is modern financial planning is relatively new. For instance, individual retirement accounts are a recent phenomenon. 401ks were, were created in 1978. IRAs created in 1998. Index funds developed in the 1970s. That's right. That's when your parents were born or that's when your aunts and uncles were born. Like think about that. Like you have people that are 90 plus years old that didn't have any of these instruments back in the day because people thought well we'll just, we'll just do pensions and then people will die and we'll have to pay them well people are living longer and guess what we wrote a bunch of checks we couldn't cash <laughs> i think yeah it was a it was a good intro no one's crazy it really it really just identified that we're not all we don't all come from the same place so like our worldview we talk about this all the time like most of our worldviews view is made up of just what we know and our experiences and just the people we meet and what they tell us and kind of what we consume on the media uh, it has nothing to do with so many other variables and factors. So to us, of course, it's not crazy when we make an investment in Luckin coffee because we're like, I drink Starbucks every day. It's going to be popular in China, you know, and the next thing you know, it folds and no one really knew and no one understood it. Uh, and people would think the person who made that bet was crazy, but not understanding that uh, that person only had limited knowledge or, or, you know, I just, it was an interesting chapter on psychology. He started the whole book off with a psycho psychological, just kind of, jam at everyone to tell you uh that when someone's making a bet in their in their mind they believe they're going to win it with an overwhelming confidence no one makes a bet being like ah, i'll get out of this with half my wealth you know in three months yeah you, you made a, a good little comment about luck and coffee and goes back to our original like you know people like they think they know things right and they also to your point they want to catch luck and coffee like start asking people about stocks and everyone says like, when I start hearing, Oh, geez, coming back. Oh, this company's great. And I'm like, I've never heard of them. Like, I'm sorry, but my biggest, my favorite company for a year and a half was Facebook. You know, they went down to 125, and I was like, everybody knows Facebook. I mean, you're on it. Mm -hmm. Instagram, everybody's on it. Like they're going to ramp up advertising. Um, but Luckin coffee is an example. It's a relatively new company. Everybody's like, Oh, it's going to take over China. You got to get in now. Yeah. Um, well, they only had like a year's worth of history. We didn't know any about anything about these people. You're much better off buying Starbucks. You know, like how they run the company. You know, they have good cash flows and go to a Starbucks. That thing ain't missing a beat. No. Well, people just, it got this, this name as the Starbucks of China. So that mantra that came with it, people want to get in early and they're like, well, if I get in now, it could be Starbucks in three years and I can quit, I can triple my money. People are fascinated with the shiny new thing that they know that they think is going to grow. So, uh, which does transition us a little bit. This is my favorite chapter. I think this is a chapter, right, about luck and risk. Uh, yeah, luck and risk yep. is the name of the chapter. Um, I was fascinated by this chapter. I mean, this is, this is really, this is our podcast, right? Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Uh, but the cool thing that he talks about this and we, this is generally what we were saying is like, people don't think this, but luck and risk are on, are on the same side of the coin. A lot of people think you're either lucky or you're risky. 
And that's just not that's just not true. Like the line between you know risky and, and luck, it's like you know they say the line between bold and reckless is thinner than people think. So how did you take luck and risk? Well, I wanted to read this quote, and it was luck and risk are both the reality that every outcome in life is guided by forces other than individual effort. They both happen because the world is too complex to allow a hundred percent of your actions dictate a hundred percent of your outcomes. And I just start to, this makes a lot of sense. Like think about like how I call it lucky. Like there is no other way around it. Where yeah. I'm at, I think is lucky. Mm-hmm. Do, do, and, and everyone says, well, you, you made, you know, we talk about the preparation meeting opportunity. That's what I'm talking about. Like live your life backwards and think about, Really, if this piece didn't fall this way, I wouldn't. Have, this wouldn't happen for me here, and it probably wouldn't have happened. You know, like if you start thinking like there's a a big kind of chain reaction in your life that gets me all like I went to Purdue. I probably shouldn't have went to Purdue, but I <laughs> went. I followed my high school girlfriend. Shouldn't have went. I, like in theory, it might have been smarter to go play like a Division two baseball in Florida and get a scholarship and not have to have that debt. But I made a bad decision that ended up being very lucky, and. It just so happened, you know, I didn't chase her to the D2 school. I chased her to a, a preeminent college. And, you know, then I could just start drawing dotted lines from here to there. And it that works out mean, pretty nice. That just means you had good taste at a young age. You know, she wanted to go to a <laughs> you know, Big Ten school. Made you just kind of think a little bit earlier. I, I get that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't believe in risk without believing in luck. That's, how, that's what we're saying. Like, you know, look at you and I met, you know, that was luck. But my wife and I met, that was yeah. luck. But the risk was actually like taking that conversation further and like, ah, this guy's interesting. I like to see what's going on. And that girl's interesting. I like to continue this. And, you know, like you're just there. Then you got to actually capture that moment too. Like, hey, look, the whole world and the stars aligned at a certain moment. Uh, you didn't really know it, but that's part of the risk of like, I feel something. I don't know, gut feeling. Is that what they call that? Or I don't know. But you're just like, ah, it just yeah. piqued my interest. Let's play forward. And next thing you know, five years later, we're both married, good friends, doing a podcast together. And, uh, you know, the luck and the risk component, we're both on the same side of the coin. Absolutely. Um, there's another point I want to make. So I was talking to a good friend of ours that we both met. You know, he is uh, comes from a family of money. And we were talking one night, having a few cocktails, and I was telling him, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. He's like, <laughs> the comment came out something like this. He's like, ah, you're just so lucky to be able to take that risk. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm the lucky guy. Like, yeah. This guy, you know, comes from pretty fine, has a nice, you know, has nothing to worry about financially ever, has never had a sweat about money. He's like saying, I'm the lucky guy. And I, I laugh, and I'm like, yeah, it's all about perspective, right? He's like, well, I get that. Like, no, I, I chose to take the, these risks. I am lucky that I did come from very little. So I'm not worried about going back because I'll climb my way out of it again. Yeah. just Yeah. I mean, that, that's what people don't understand. I think a lot of people have the ability to take more risks than they think. They just don't. Or, you know, there's so many side hustles and so many things out there that can gravitate and help you make money that like you just put yourself in those situations it's just, I just, I can't really understand when people go home and they just like watch TV all night or they, you know, TV is like the poor man's game or just whatever they do. They don't do anything at night. They eat, lay on the couch, watch TV and just hang. Uh, and there's people like us doing podcasts or, you know, 30 minutes before this, I had to scan in 30 books right here because I sell on Amazon as well. It's just like, those are the hustles that, you know, I'm doing it right now. And it's like, 
kind of sucks. But in you know six months, if you're you're killing it, and someone's like, "Ah, oh, you just got lucky," you're like, "No, dude, I grinded for six and a half, seven months to get here." And that's even a short term. There's people I met a guy the other day in the store who has fifty thousand books in a warehouse somewhere, and he's been doing it thirty years, and he's just like, "Ah, oh, it's not really lucky." I mean, it's lucky. I got certain breaks, but I don't know. You just you continue to take the risk and keep buying something up and put your money towards something. And if you, if you feel like it's trending in the right direction, then you just got to keep doing it. So I don't know if that was a play out of words, but yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. Really good example. I mean, it's about putting yourself out there and it's about making some own luck. You know, I think we both agree. Like it's not a hundred percent of your action. It's not a hundred percent of like what you do that outcomes. It's a lot of what you do, but you also need to have some breaks fall your way. Oh, for sure. Um, I'm ready to move into chapter three. And I, this is, again, these handful of chapters really said something clever. So this one was never enough, right? And it talks about, um, there's two writers, Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller. Heller wrote Catch-22. They attended a party hosted by a billionaire. Uh, Vonnegut makes a comment to Heller that the billionaire makes more in a single day than Heller made off his popular novel Catch-22. Heller responds, yes, but I have something he will never have. I have enough. I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Like, you need to know what enough is, or otherwise you'll get stuck. Just because you, you are financially free doesn't mean you can't get stuck on a hamster wheel chasing after every little thing or chasing after to be something that you don't, that you think what other people think about you. You got to figure out what enough is for you. That's interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting chapter for sure. I really enjoyed that comment. Never enough. I mean, that is, we talk, we're talking about money. Like, hey, man, how much is greed? Greed is where you're getting in. Like, hey, man, well, how much money is enough where you don't have to continue to take those risks? But uh, I mean, you can say it when you're drinking at night, right, with your buddies out at the bar. Like, hey, man, how much is enough? Like, eight is enough. Like, <laughs> are you going to make it the next morning? But all right, is that another round of shots? That's more money that you're putting into something that can go into like a Facebook stock or into a you know an Apple stock or what have you. And uh, that's what rich people do is like, it's crazy. You know, the more money you make, right? Like, let's just even ask you like today, as opposed to three years from now, like you make more money today, but don't you feel like you have more bills now? Um, I guess technically you have more things in the fire and yeah, I have to pay for more things because I have more things going on. You know, I got to make sure, you know, the real estate business and I have some other businesses going on. So it does feel like there's more things moving, but my personal life is very simplified and I don't really have that much because we don't buy a lot of stuff. You know, it talks about that in later chapters. We don't have any car payments. We don't have any insurance, you know, so therefore um, we don't have a lot of other different payments that we have going on because a lot of people do, they raise as their income raises their expenses raise. And we've tried to really, don't get me wrong. I reach and I buy expensive clothes and stuff. <laughs> don't we I'm all? a human being. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, but most people, they hit a certain point and they just keep spending on like, yeah, there was something Shaq said a while back that made me laugh. Is like he spends $1,000 a week on apps. And I just thought, what the hell are you buying? I couldn't even spend $1,000 right now if I wanted to on apps. Like something like that to me is, He's obviously successful and he probably has a little bit more discipline. That's pretty much what never enough means. Hey, just have some discipline. Uh, he probably has a little more discipline than usual, but I just laughed when I heard that. I just thought like a thousand dollars a week. That's what, that's what poor people say. Uh, that's what people who are going to be poor say. And uh, hopefully he doesn't stabilize out and become poor. He's still relevant and has a job, but yeah, yeah. Point. like that's how you lose your wealth is you, you just continue to spend it on things and, or make, ridiculous risks like bet 50k on like a, an nfl sunday game and you lose it and you do it again the next time and now you're down 100k it's like yeah it's, i know you have a lot of money but that's that's gonna hurt yeah and with this too it made me really check myself like you know 
talks about like the author has enough joseph heller like i have enough in my life so it's like okay he makes a comment morgan household says the hardest financial skill is getting the goalpost to stop moving so this is where this chapter really checked me it's like what is my goalpost like when do i stop and like what are my goals? And I started kind of reflecting and I think about the conversations my wife and I have. I'm like, oh, we actually have some pretty defined goals. Like once we get here, this is where we're we're set up for about a handful of things. We don't like, I don't need private jet money. Now, maybe I get there, maybe I want it someday, <laughs> but I don't need that much money. I don't need to be flying around in private jets. That's just not me. But I have a set goalpost where I want to be and how I want to be there. That's kind of my game plan. What well, about you? Do you have a do you have a goalpost? I absolutely have a goalpost. I know exactly what I want. The nice thing is, you know, when I married my wife, I, I got a lot of those things that came with her. You know, you get other things too that aren't so that aren't so positive. But uh, when we're talking about financially and just uh, economically, yeah, I mean, I, I have pretty defined goalposts, and uh, I, I'm I would say I'm a pretty disciplined guy. I, I'm not really deterred by a lot of things. For, you know. I have zero peer pressure in my life besides you, but your peer pressure that you give me is like buy Bitcoin. It's already aligned with something I want to do, but there's not a lot of things. And I'm, I'm pretty, pretty in tune with myself and in the moment. Um, but my path to get there is a good transition in the next chapter, because this is something that we believe in big time is the chapter is called confounding compounding. It's really just about compounding interest. And, and this is how all the rich people in the world make their money outside of just, uh, real estate and assets is just a compounding interest. You hear Tony Robbins talking about it. It's like, hey man, if you just put, actually, let me take a step back because there's a quote Michael Batnick. He was a, he's about he's from the Irrelevant Investor and he's the director of research at like a wealth management company. He explains it in a really easy way when he talks about compounding interest. He's like, all right, Josh, if you can calculate eight plus eight plus eight, eight plus eight plus eight, and eight plus eight plus eight, like eight nine times, what do you get? Seventy-two. Yeah. Now, can you calculate eight times 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 eight in your head? No, I can't. Yeah, it'll explode, right? By the way, it's 134,000, 134,217,728. The point is like that's compounding interest is like it's timesing instead of plusing. So your wealth in you know eight, 10, 12, 15 years, if you keep doing the same thing every year and it's successful and you're making those 7% returns, you're going to have a million dollars or $2 million if you're doing it that way. Yeah, the compounding trick, like they always say, like if something compounds at like eight percent, it doubles like every five and a half or eight and a half years or something like that. So think about that. It's like so if you put a hundred thousand dollars in, in eight and a half years, you have two hundred thousand dollars. Well, guess what? In eight and a half more years, you don't have another hundred thousand, you have two hundred more thousand. And then another eight and a half years, you have what's that, eight hundred thousand dollars. So that's like compounding interest. And it's just such a powerful tool. And the quote that I grabbed here is good investing isn't necessarily about earning the highest returns. It's about earning pretty good returns that you can stick with and which can be repeated for the longest period of time. That's when compounding runs wild. They say that Warren Buffett necessarily hasn't earned the greatest returns forever. He's just been investing forever. And, and that's how he's like something about like 90% of all of his wealth's been made like in the last like 10 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. That, that's compounding yeah it's crazy they, they talked about linear thinking is just a much more intuitive process than exponential thinking like people want to get rich quick so they think eight yard like what you just said eight years 
to them, they're like, wow, this is too long. And you made a point in one of our previous podcasts. Like, it's that time's going to go by anyway. So, wouldn't you rather have double that in eight years and just know you were doing the right thing with some marginal just investing here and there? I mean, he even referenced the book that he thought everyone should go and talk or go and read. And it's called Shut Up and Wait. The whole point of that is like, hey, man, you just do it. You can, if you just eat it now and in the next 10 to 14 to 15 years, it, you can start to reap the rewards of your, of your, the fruits of your labor and by the time you do want to retire in what 60 62 65 hopefully it's much sooner than that but if you have a 401k you can start you can start spending that money and crushing it because you have a lot of it yeah it's it's simple but it's not easy like you have to eat the dog dirty you have to be willing not to always like chase and we're built right we've talked about bitcoin like we're built to spend money like they they program us to spend money as fast as you can because it's going to be worth less the only way it's not worth less is to get it in some sort of asset get in something that returns um year after year and you just keep plugging into that so that's why it's like plugging in using your 401ks are great so it's I'm true gonna, go ahead I'm, I'm good at transitioning to chapter five yeah let's do it so this is getting wealthy versus staying wealthy. And I like, uh, um, like getting wealthy is way easier than staying wealthy oh, um, just because you're at zero or you're at negative for some of us. So it's like, you can take risks, you can do more things, you can kind of swing out there and you can kind of, you know, take those bigger shots and you can kind of just get away. Well, I don't have anything. So it's not that big of a deal. Um, but the whole thing is you got to be able to play the game and, Nassim Taleb says, having an edge and surviving are two different things. Having an edge requires surviving. You need to avoid the risk of ruin at all costs. So just don't, don't burn up your savings. Don't burn up your investments. Yeah, he, there, was a, there was an awesome quote. I actually wrote this down because I loved it so much. Was uh, Saving money is the gap between your ego and your income. Wealth is what you don't see. So, I mean, there's a little chapter later in life, but just the wealth is just created by suppressing what you can buy today in order to have more stuff or more options in the future if you want to buy that. So, you know, getting wealthy or staying wealthy, he, there's some many examples in the industries that we follow across life. I mean, there was one about Rihanna who almost went broke a uh, handful of years ago and she tried to blame her financial advisor and the guy came out and was like, yeah, I just told her to stop spending her money. And she just kept spending her money because she just thought it had, she thought she had infinite amounts of it. So once she started to run poor, she had to go out and tour again and make more music and not really live that lifestyle. And uh, a lot of people kind of fall in that. I mean, Antoine Walker in the NBA was kind of like that. He made it big, had millions of dollars and now he's poor. Delonte West, if you saw him on the streets the other day, he's literally a bum. Like not, I, I hope he gets help, but you know, he's a bum to most of the world. And, uh, those are people who had money and they got wealthy and then they just lost it all because they just 50 grand a night at a casino or at a strip club or, or whatever they do. Or, you know, you're Vince Young and you're ordering a thousand dollars on a Friday night of drinks. And you're like, what are you, what, what are you doing? how did you get there? Like that, that's just dumb money. And those, those are poor people around him that wouldn't give him financial advice. Um, but yeah, getting to that spot, you know, th there's some people that can win the genetic lottery. There's others that are talented to get there, but actually staying there, there's only a few, very few people who can actually stay there. Yeah, piling on. He talks about like you need to aim to be financially unbreakable. Like, be able to stick out the swings in the market and stay in the game long enough for compounding to work. Just to go back to our last chapter. So, like, don't rely on like the stock market as your savings. Like, if you are going to need that money, it needs to be in your checking account. It needs to be in a spendable account. 
because if you need that money and the market goes down and draws down 50%, maybe it won't bounce back. Maybe it'll stay there for six to eight weeks. Maybe it'll stay there for four or five months and it'll slowly come back over time. That's something that can realistically happen. And if you're out below, you know, like these guys, they weren't, they, they were probably investing, but then they were going out and spending all their money and then they got short on cash. And what do they do? They look around, Oh, that bucket's got some money. Let me get some money out of that one. And that's their investments. And then you kill the money, taking money away, especially from your investments. You're just killing them. They're done. They're gone. Yeah. In a lot of cases too, that actually ruins their just uh, professional career too, because then money becomes something that they want to, they want to obtain exactly what they were getting what, right, right before that. So they go out and they try to like sit out and hold contracts. I'm talking sports. Uh, and they try to just kind of over leverage themselves, even though they're probably getting paid what they should be getting paid. So it's not just the money of uh, just staying wealthy. It's once you lose it, those, that starts to become career suicide for a lot of people because they don't know how to get it back and they've passed their prime or they, they, they believe they've passed their prime or they've already lived a, a specific lifestyle and it's tough. So it's, it's an interesting chapter for sure, getting wealthy versus staying wealthy. It's something that I took a note and a handful of quotes from. Yeah, it's like when you're at a casino and you know, you walk in with a thousand bucks, you lose that thousand bucks, but you're like, God, if I can just hit one hand, then you get another thousand bucks and you lose it. Now you're down to two thousand. <laughs> like you just said about, you go, well, I can win the next one. And you start to take more risk because you become desperate. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's people get there. You, you've probably seen many people get there, right? Uh, I've definitely seen people. I've been there. <laughs> I, know, I know it's like a good thing. It was only a few hundred bucks at that time. And that was all the money I had instead of, you know, 10 or $20,000. Cause that'd be a bad spot. I'm out. I'm not doing that. Do you have anything to note on the next chapter tales you win? It's, it's a, uh, it was an interesting this, chapter. This was kind of an in-depth, very abstract. It's basically talking about like these tail events. So I talk, I look at the tail events are catching like Apple, right? But Apple wasn't that great of a company until the mobile phone, until mm. they had the iPhone. And that's a tail event. Like, Oh shit, everything changes. Netflix, that's a tail event, like streaming. It, it broke Blockbuster and then shot this company to the moon. Like the uh, coronavirus this year, that's a tail event where it shook everything out and now everyone's not really sure what's going on. Those are just like some examples of tails event, tail events. Um, it's more of an abstract like thought, like Bitcoin is largely a tail event, like this digital money created out of nowhere, no marketing team, um, just really good engineers that were kind of tinkering around and thought they made something in 10 years. It's still around. And if it does get as much adoption as it, as we think it will, then it's, it's just another tail event, but that's, that's all I had to add. Yeah. I don't have much more to add to that. I mean, it's, it's a good point. Really those, those companies that are uh, set to strive or they, they really just need some form of tender to hit them. Uh, and something that catalysts them into a certain mode. You know, the, the Apple iPhone was a good one. Like they're making iPads and iPods and all that. But Apple really, once they got into the phone market and made this device, this you know, this iPhone right here, it became like, you know, probably the most profitable company in the entire world because they found exactly what everyone needed, a user-friendly version. It was convenient. And they just were really good at marketing. And, you know, Steve Jobs had it all. They just had the great, they had a great recipe and all the ingredients for success. Now they just needed that that catalyst or that moment to do that. And that's, and that happened when, you know, everyone started to get rid of their, uh, their phone. I mean, you were, we're still part of the generation where we had phones in our home where like someone would call you like literally a landline. Like that's a, that's a very unique thing to have these days unless you're in a business office, but otherwise everyone just has their cell phone and you just get paid through your cell phone bill. And 
how you get reimbursed or you have a free phone from work. Most people have it nowadays because it's essential. It's literally the most essential thing in the world is a cell phone. So I didn't have much it's, to add other than that's why Apple got to where they were. Great points. It's the M4. The cell phone is to the businessman as the M4 is to a Marine. Yeah, that's, that's pretty a, much it's what it is. It's its, bat, it's its Robin to his Batman, right? Yeah. So let's move on to chapter eight. This is a really quick chapter, but it was a really powerful one for me. Like uh, it's called the man in the car paradox. And it starts off when you see someone driving a nice car, you rarely think, wow, the guy who's driving that car is cool. Instead, you think, wow, if I had that car, people would think I'm cool. Subconscious or not, this is how people think. In other words, when we signal that we're wealthy, and that people should like us and admire us, really what happens is people ignore us um, and they focus and envy the object or the possession. You there? Yeah, I thought my, I thought my power just went out. Can you hear me? Ah, oh, <laughs> so good, I, good. <laughs> I'm still in the room in my house. Uh, I, I have something to add to this. I mean, it, the man in the car paradox was super, it was interesting because it's about recognizing that people generally aspire to be respected by others. That's really what it was talking about. Like humility, graciousness, intelligence, all that empathy. Uh, those all tend to generate more respect it, it, and everyone doing it, the whole world. That's like what social media is. It's like everyone's using social media as a way to like outwardly express how much money they have or how awesome their lifestyles are. When a lot of people, when you were just, you know, to lift up the curtain or on, on, unwind a page aren't really doing all that well inside most of it is just exploitation of who they want to be not what they currently are and it's uh you know man in the car paradox was a good example of it because it had to it talked about business and it talked about people taking pictures in front of jets and trying to show this lifestyle and, and the funny thing about all that is the person who actually owns a jet didn't care at all and didn't want anything to be a part of it it's like that's that you know the rich man or the rich woman is kind of behind their scenes rolling their eyes is that what you got great point about how the guy who actually owns the jet doesn't even want to be in the picture it's somebody else you know, nah, taking the picture man. and it's just not property. really struck a chord with me i was like yeah that's right when i see this cool sports car i'm like oh damn that car is cool i don't ever look at the person i never know who's in it sometimes you can't even see him so it it's <laughs> yeah that's a good point that's a good point you want to know how they got there they saved money <laughs> All right, we could. That's what we need to do. Yeah, they, you know how those rich people got there is they had to save money. So, uh, <laughs> what do you know about saving money? That's chapter ten, by the way. Um, this I is guess we one of the most. I guess we, we kind of skipped. Up, yeah, number nine, wealth is what you don't see. Yeah, the uh, difference between being wealthy and rich. I think you made a point already. Like people who are rich uh, live in big homes and drive fancy cars. They have big incomes uh, and they display the fact they're rich. Uh, you don't know how much debt they're in. You don't know what like kind of loan they're carrying on all their cars and like total debt. Like me and my wife, like we, we, we are so happy we're not in any debt and we're debating buying a car and we're like, well, do we, because it is 0% interest. Do we just take the loan because it is free money? And in theory, we're making more money on it. So it's like, we're, we're grasping with that because we have to take on some debt and we don't like that. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting point then. So like, this is what this book did for you in the psychology of money is like, say you see Josh, you're, you're walking down the road, you and I, and you see someone driving a $200,000 car right by you. The only data point that you and I have about that person's wealth is that they have $200,000 less than they did before they bought that car. 
or they're leasing the car, which truly offers just like no indication of wealth. So the idea behind that was like, you're just judging people. We can only, we tend to just judge people uh, on the wealth by what we see. We can't really, you talked about, we can't really see people's bank, bank accounts or brokerage statements. So it's all about, we rely heavily on outward appearances and that's what gauges financial success. So when you see the big home or the cars or the vacations, the Instagram photos, like those are all just optical pieces to tell people that you have money. Um, but they're not an indication that you have it. It's just what we believe based off of your perception. It's pretty interesting. It, it's kind of a thing that I've developed in terms of like how I, I, I don't post a lot on social media because I feel it is just flexing like, oh, I'm here. Don't get me wrong. I post like if I'm at a nice cool golf course, but I post like one photo a month maybe. Um, and what I realize is because I, I'm usually with my friends. So like, who am I going to share this with? Who am I just going to brag? Oh, I went to Hawaii. Oh, I did this. Like, you know, I do a little bit of that stuff, but it's like, it, no one cares about what I'm like. When I see somebody like on their photos, like, I don't care where you're at. Like, I don't even know why I'm looking at this probably because I'm bored or something, but it's like, nobody cares where I'm at. Nobody cares what I'm doing. So I'm with my friends. I'm with all the people that matter. Like who, who, who cares? There's people that care. I promise you. It's just a matter of how do you get those people not. And some people just won't. And I hope they have a healthy, happy lifestyle and I uh, hope they have what they want. But if they don't, it's going to be a struggle and a challenge. And yeah, they, they, they better start saving money now. <laughs> You know, nothing's yeah, free. That, so. <laughs> that rolls rolls right into chapter ten and how to save money. Yeah, not even how me, to save the importance. Yeah, the importance of it. Um, yeah, obviously everyone needs rainy day. I mean, we talk saving money is everywhere in the world. From saving money so you can buy a wedding ring to your with your wife, or uh, or just the rainy day fund if something happens to your house. It's it, it's the, the best quote in there was saving money was just the ultimate hedge on life. You just don't know what's going to happen, right? Like no one knows their end date. No one knows what's going to happen next. They're preparing themselves for these opportunities, but like, you know, COVID happened, sh shit just stopped. And a lot of people didn't know what to do. And they're like, Holy cow, I don't have a job. I got furloughed. I got fired. A lot of things happened. Like how much money do you have in your bank account? Can you survive six months? If you can, uh, that's what we prefer you do. Obviously, we have a government here in America that will just bail you out and give you $1,200. Some people don't think that's enough. Others would say, well, you've never gotten that. <laughs> uh, but but saving money is the ultimate ultimate way to know that you can still feel happy and financially free in the world. And it, you can do that through saving money with just fiat. We do it through Bitcoin. So there's there's ways to do it. We don't have to go into it unless you want to. But that's how I'd recommend saving money these days. It's either put it in your savings account or put it into Bitcoin, whatever you feel comfortable with. What about you? Yeah. And when you say save money, what we mean is like you need to be investing the difference. Like you have your income and you have your expenses. The net is savings. That doesn't necessarily, you need to build up your, right, your emergency fund where you have three to six months of save. That would be, that's what modern day savings everyone thinks. But then you still need to be saving. Um, you know, 30, 40% of your income. And we talked about this with Mike and we've talked about this with other people on the pod and you need to be plowing that money into um, relatively safe investment. So I call the S&P 500 a fairly safe investment on a very long time horizon, call it, you know, 30, 40 years. It's pretty safe. Would you say that's, you know, let's and, this. Go ahead. I was saying, and I let you hang out the drive. Yeah, Bitcoin. We love Bitcoin. <laughs> and uh, but I'm telling you, not everybody's warmed up to it. So if you're not warmed up to it, go ahead and invest. Like, just invest in index funds. It's fine. <laughs>
so that, let's let's transition that into the next chapter because this is a great topic for it. reasonable uh, over rational is what he talks about. But like, would you what would you say? Do you think Bitcoin's more reasonable or do you think it's more rational? How would you uh, identify that? I'd have to say it's reasonable. Um, reasonable is more realistic, and you have a better chance of sticking with it for the long run. I guess hand investing in like index funds are more reasonable. Mm-hmm. Investing investing in Bitcoin it's rational. I can rationalize it, but it is, it's, it's a little unreasonable when I start like to say it out loud. Oh, it's just magic internet money, right? Like mm-hmm. it is perfectly coded money that we've never seen before in the history of the world. And it's going to solve all of our problems. That's, that's a little out there. And like, I can take a step back and, and say that. So it's a little, I can rationalize that Bitcoin is going to be the best return. And I think and that's where I'm putting a lot of my savings into Bitcoin. Um, but I also understand like most people aren't that way. And you can see I'm, I'm kind of leaning away from Bitcoin a little bit in this pod, just because it's kind of how I'm trying to think more like the average person. Yeah. I like, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I like to lean into it. I, this, this, he talks about reasonable being, you know, greater than rational. And I think that's his point of view. I, I'm still in the circumstances of like Bitcoin. Bitcoin's far more rational to me than reasonable. Like it's not really all that reasonable. It's just a store of value in my opinion or how I use it. Uh, it, it's not, it, you can spend it in places, but it's kind of hard to spend in places. It's getting absorbed big time by banks and fortune 500 companies. Um, the market for it is, is growing, but it's not, it's not in, incredibly reasonable today to own and walk around and use it and, and be as ubiquitous as it is. It's just more rational. It's like, Hey man, I think it's a rational thought. Like, I want to own this. I have disposable income. I, I'm willing to hold on to this because I think it's, it's going to live with fiat uh, it will live with gold. It will live with a lot of things. I know some people think it's going to replace gold. I think it will replace number one over gold, but I think it will still exist in the same place. But um, just when you're making trades, are you are you more reasonable or rational? He, he tries to say he's more reasonable. I think there's a lot of successful investors out there that are also rationable. Uh, or ra- yeah, rational. Um, so it just I I didn't really necessarily agree with it. I appreciated the topic because they are two different choices. But I think you could be either and still be and still win. That's my opinion. Yeah, you hit it the nail on the head. Stick to your guns and don't let like short term volatility like force a bad decision. If you've kind of made this decision, like that, it's it is what it is. Like don't sit there and be like, oh no, Bitcoin fell fifty percent. It's crashing. Well, I've seen it do it twice already. So yeah, uh, <laughs> same thing with the stock market. You know, that's so, true. Big time. Um, I like this next one. I'm moving on to chapter twelve. It was surprise. Um, like things randomly happen. Like coronavirus. We're living in a perfect like surprise time. We all had events plan we all had our life planned out just the way we wanted it bang everything gets shut down it's a really weird time um surprise happens this kind of falls into tail events you just need to be prepared and we talked about like not going under um you know it's it's kind of crazy to think about how small such small events can affect so many people like the invention of the cell phone the invention of electricity the invention of the automobile so a lot of these things we don't know they're going to happen they're going to pop up on us oh shit what the fuck is that it's bitcoin yeah that's a good point surprise is uh it's something people don't take it in as a factor in life surprise is just life i mean life happened like shit just happened like as lucky as you can be you can be unlucky as well like it's the duality of life 
So that's the, the surprise comment in the surprise chapter is really just a hedge on what people think. Uh, it's essentially telling you like never go all in on something because there's always going to be a surprise and there's always something that you just don't know and there's a variable that you don't control, the independent variable uh, that ultimately it can run rampant and it can run wild. And uh, I, I mean, I'm not a big sports better by any means, but you talk about Josh and Josh has like an over and under. And a, Josh was watching a football game the other week and uh, I think Houston was playing the Browns and the Browns were favored by four and a half and the guy just, the guy in the Browns just, crushed it on a run 80 yards down the sideline all you had to do is walk in the end zone everyone lost their bet but he took a step to the left went out of bounds the game ended and nobody and everyone won their bet i know that's a weird example but the surprise was like that you never knew he was going to do that and that's just life and uh you exactly. need to have savings yeah. and you need that you just need to be prepared for it so when we talk bitcoin like that's not our only investment we're big time in the stock market you have real estate uh there's other things we're invested in just we have multiple LLCs. Like we're not hundred percent one thing. And if we were, the surprise would murder you and kill you and, and make you go to zero. <laughs> I don't know to do it, but yeah. Yeah. It would be terrible, but that's just the thing is like, there's a lot of surprises that really swing things. Um, and this is, again, we're getting into now the book gets a little redundant and it just goes more into the, the, the first half of the book is a lot about like the core principles. Surprise is a tail risk. That's all it is or a tail event. You know, think about like, Sorry to bring this up, but 9-11. 9-11 prompted the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates, which helped drive the housing bubble in 2008. So this is six years later, but they had to cut interest rates because they wanted to make sure that um, the, the that people didn't panic because of like this attack and that the, the we wanted to make things cheaper for everybody to go and invest and buy and stuff. And so this led to a poor jobs market, which then led to millions of people going to college, which led to a bunch of student loan debt with a 10% default rate. And now they're getting ready to cancel a bunch of student loans. So like, it's like one little thing just kind of led to another, led to another, led to another. You never really know what's going to happen in an event. We don't know how this COVID thing's going to play out. What it tells me is that like the government has way more power than what a lot of people think they do. Uh, it was kind of an eye opening to me, but those are the type of things that could eventually happen from just a not necessarily small but a big event you know yeah so what's your hypothesis then over the next 12 months like what's the government going to do to help people out is it you know cancel student debt is it you know increase the minimum wage to 15 like they're going to do something to help uh you know all boats rise with the what's the there's an old saying all boats right uh, get grow with the rising tide uh, high or tides like lift all boats rising tides lift all boats that's yeah that, that's how like a lot of people believe or a certain variable of people believe and uh do you what, what's your hypothesis like what, what's gonna happen over the next 12 months what's the government gonna do to help its people or, or what's the next surprise whatever it is i'm going to be surprised <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah no, i would think i think some form of the problem is like i Student loans make a lot of sense because a lot of people, a lot of young people have them. Uh, my mom has them. My stepmom has them. You know, a lot of people have them out there. Um, and they say it's going to drive a divide of those who have and have nots. Um, because a lot of people went to college, didn't go to college and don't have that student loan debt and don't have that, you know, kind of that anchor that really helps them. You know, it does help you get ahead a little bit in life. And don't get me wrong, like student loan debt sucked, but I got out of it and it was the best that I, I would gladly do it again if I knew I'm going to be right here. Um, easy to say now, but I was still happy at, at the time. So I think if you do cancel student loan debt, things are going to get more expensive. I can tell you that because they're going to have extra money to go out and buy stuff and they're going to be able to get, um, 
get more housing loans, so housing is going to get more expensive. But what's happened is the old generation, because of how we run our our monetary policy, they have all the wealth. It's that's that's the only reason why why is because they got houses and we re ramped up inflation, so they got the houses before we could get them before inflation hit. Yeah, it's kind of the the paradox that's happening right now in college. Like, say you do get, we'll just call it fifty thousand dollars, right? I think that's a note that was made. Say they just get rid of fifty thousand dollars of everyone's student loan debts. Whoever carries more than that, if you carry them less, then you have no more. If you carry more, then you, obviously you you still have to pay the difference. But uh, that that's probably going to be a one time thing, I can imagine. And then after that, uh, what's going to happen with colleges? Are they going to mandate public and private schools need to start charging less so it's more affordable? Like, re really, what's the action after that? I can see that money getting uh, fading away and it, it really hurting hurting us economically for a little bit, but not much. It's really like, what are you guys going to propose moving forward? Um, that would ultimately change the history of money. Like, people are going to make the same mistake twice if nothing gets changed. And I can see nothing getting like here. Here's a here's a quick little uh, fifty grand handout take it and then five years from now we're in a similar situation because college is still being sold at an expensive level for not the value i mean it was valuable to me because i got a lot smarter but the, the more value i got was the social capital that came with it and the, the networking the experience of meeting new people it was actually just like growing up and understanding the world was bigger than you thought like some of my best friends were like three towns away i never knew existed because you're just in high school it's a rivalry and you know you don't go hang out with those people and then you go to college and you're like holy shit this guy who's 15 minutes away is like this dude's fucking awesome and we could be best friends and you meet a girl that's has the same world view as you from a different state and like it just changes you who you are and your perception and you understand you're not as big as you think you are um, at least for me, I don't know how, how that worked for you in terms of going to college and what it meant to you, but mine was far more intangible than it was, uh, you know, the degree I got that degree just opened doorways, but I had to do a lot of that work and make the effort. Like this conversation, um, tail events, like, okay, that's going to be COVID then spurred this tail event to cancel student loan debt for mm -hmm. all these people. There's a lot of people that aren't getting student loan debt canceled for so how are they going to feel and how is that going to perpetuate this division of america in the future and that's just an example like we don't know what's going to happen but we're going to look back and you know covid prompted ubi it prompted student loan forgiveness it prompted a bunch of jubilee and then you know in 50 years the dollar's wrecked but the bitcoiners have all the money and you know they're just they're just hiding with guns you know <laughs> it's a race because everybody wants them you know <laughs> so that that kind of summed up uh chapters 13 and 14 room for error <laughs> you know you can screw up and get bailed out by the government and you'll change you know if we do pay you hopefully you'll you'll use that money if we give you 1200 dollars in the middle of the pandemic uh you know i still love the twitter feed of uh this is how much bitcoin's worth and it's at like four grand now if we give you twelve hundred dollars and you invest in bitcoin you can have four grand instead you probably bought the apple x and you yeah you're in the same situation you were and you're on twitter complaining about why you didn't get more money so uh there's another chapter i want to have a little fun game with you it's called nothing is free chapter 15 and uh this, this chapter was really talking about you know money is money but time is the most most valuable variable in it so I wanted to play a game with you, Josh. And I was going to, I was going to give you three or four scenarios and you tell me where you are in the essence of time. Like, is this time, is this worth your time? The money you're going to make from this. So you ready? Let's do it. All right. If you, if, if you woke up and someone's like, Hey man, do 30 minutes worth of dishes for $10. Would you do it? No, that's not worth your time. Right. Yeah. Uh, would you go to a sporting event if someone paid you a thousand dollars right now? Uh, probably. Yeah. A thousand bucks in three hours. Yeah. Four hours. Yeah. I'm in. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay. How about this? Would you drive to Vegas and back if someone said they'd pay you four hundred dollars? You can't get out of the car. You just drive to Vegas, get you know, nope. get gas, come back and come out. Four hundred dollars. Would you do it? Nope, absolutely not. Oh, we're starting to figure out where you are. Obviously, it's not ten. Four hundred is still your your, your gutter. Your ceiling is yeah. you know a thousand dollars, presumably. So that's kind of what I was getting at when I said like time is most valuable. Well, you know, he can make money in all those scenarios, but to him, it's like wow. To you, Josh, it's like you're right. Do I want to burn twelve hours in a day to make four hundred dollars? It's like I think I can make four hundred dollars better, or more intellectually proven that I want to go down that path. I don't want to just drive for twelve hours. I mean, that feels like what you just told me. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's like, oh, there's a buck to be made everywhere, but like that mm-hmm. buck's not worth my time. Like I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna put that effort in. And you know, you talk about nothing is free. Um the key to a lot of things with money is just figuring out what the price is and be willing to pay that. Um the price for the house that we want and the lifestyle we have is this, is doing real estate, is investing and taking some um, asymmetric risk with um, startups and Bitcoin and um, other plays. Like we're trying to build the life, and that's that's the price. And there's going to be losers, and there's going to be volatility, and you got to be willing to hang on for the freaking ride. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in life you carry all the risk, right? Especially when it happens when it comes to you. So that's what yeah. they say financially, at least. Where do you think you draw? There's also different ways to make money. Like if I'm hustling and I'm doing something new that I've been practicing on and I'm making 15 bucks off of something for a half hour, I might be something into that. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's a, if I'm juggling for a half hour, I'm doing like some sort of dance. Like there is, it's not a, a pure, you know, black and white in terms of dollar amount. It also comes to like interests and hobbies and, and things that you enjoy doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you, we, you and I do a pretty good job of this, and all of our friends of like thinking of time as like time is like everything. So, whenever you're starting a new endeavor, whenever you're going somewhere, whatever, whatever you're chasing a goal, or I'll just say like, hey, Josh, you have a goal in three years, right? Like, you want to be micro ambitious towards that goal, and you're gonna spend a lot of time doing it. Like, that's awesome if you reach your goal, but understand that you just you spent three years doing that, and, and if that's what you want to do with your time that's okay. And if, you, if, the, if the outcome is worth the, the three years of doing it, then absolutely. I would say a lot of people, when you ask them what their goals are um, and, and how they get there and they say, my goal is to be X, Y, Z in five years. Do you think most times in five years, would you say like, was it worth that? I think a lot of people would probably say no. And then evaluate uh, the time they had to take to learn what they wanted to do or, or just do the things they wanted to get to. A lot of people bow out a little bit earlier than that. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. People just, you know, they have weak hands. We said it earlier in the podcast. Like, they're just out. They just, they're getting getting rich and, and being successful isn't easy. Some of it's luck, but, you know, 99.9% of it is actually, you know, being hyper-focused and going all in on that one thing. That's how incredible wealth is made. If you look at Bezos, if you look at Zuckerberg, if you look at, Bill Gates, they all made incredible wealth through their company that they owned a lot of. Um, it was one thing that they worked on. It's the only thing they work on. So there's, for every one of those, there's a hundred other ones that we don't know that failed. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely right. And then, you know, oh, so I was asking you about like, what's your, t- what's but, my, what's my threshold? Do you want to talk about mine? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it, but if I, so it's like, if you, Paid me ten dollars to do dishes for thirty minutes. I'm out, but I actually pay fifty dollars to go golfing for four hours. Like I'm in. So if you pay me any amount of money or just told me I could go golfing for free, I'm in. 
So yeah. that's a good, <laughs> that's a good point. I don't know my threshold depends on, I'm a pretty, I'm all over the place. So, I mean, some things just mean more to me than others. Um, we could probably talk about that later. So we talked about you and I, I was a chapter. There's a little more into that, but uh, the next chapter was interesting called the seduction of pessimism. And, and I was fascinated by this chapter because it's pure psychology and the seduction of pessimism talks about, they never talk about people's success, you know, that all the times they're winning, they only talk about the one time they're losing it. Uh, I think I, I experienced this a couple of weeks ago where uh, all someone was talking about was how they just, they're so afraid uh, that they weren't going to just be where they want to be in life. And uh, that everything in their, everything in their life is ordered in a place where they're, they're all they had to do is just keep driving the Ferrari, but they had this pessimism and all they saw were these small little shiny things out of the corner of their eye that they just kept, they were glued to their people are glued to negative. Like every time you turn on the news, it's all negative, right? Cause that's what people want to watch. They don't want to see yep. the positivity. They just want to see negative and, and it sucks. And uh, I pride myself in not looking at that stuff. Like when I was on Twitter and like all that stuff was going down in April and like riots and looting, like, I just wouldn't even read it. I was like, this is just pure negativity. Like most people I know in my circle and in the world are, are pretty good people. That's a, that's a faction of small people um, who are doing some things that they believe in, but, I just, I mean, what is your thought on pessimism? It's just, it's, it drowns out the room, even if it's the only thing, and only if it's like 1% of the room. Here's the quote. Tell someone that everything will be great, and they are likely to either shrug you off or offer a skeptical eye. Tell someone they're in danger, and you'll have their undivided attention. Right? There, there it is. It's psychology. Uh, people, you know, when they, when people give me their, uh, political takes, I'll just be like, well, not a whole lot's going to change. Everything's going to be, it, this isn't going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's just the way it is. Most things don't change. <laughs> you have checks and balances, things don't, but they don't want to hear that. They're like, oh, Biden's going to take away our guns and it's going to be socialism and we're going to be ran into the, into the ground. I'm like, eh, things probably aren't going to change. Like Trump, oh, he's, a, he's this person and that person. Not a lot of things well we did have a trade war that was kind of weird <laughs> yeah most of the public didn't actually see that uh but you know you work you work in a specific industry that has that ability yeah i i did want to make a comment so you mentioned a couple podcasts ago you watched the social dilemma and there was something about like negative looping or like where people focus on the negative can you tell that story and kind of explain that this just kind of goes right into this whole pessimistic loop yeah, I'll highlight it. There's a narrative in the in the book in the movie. It's actually a documentary that essentially talks about like Facebook and whenever you're on Facebook or YouTube, this rabbit hole that you go down. So, you know, if you're searching for something that's a little uh, a little edgy, I would say like you're you you think the world's flat, right? And you go down this rabbit hole, and you can spend 30 minutes on every video you get after you watch will be some form of the world is flat, or it'll start to like transcend into other kind of negative news of like anti-vaxxers, or uh, it starts to trend down these like conspiracy theories, and then you get into them, and you start to believe them because you're you're in a community, in a cult-like community of a lot of affirmation, and everyone in that community has the same belief system, so you just become rabid and. Uh, it can be a drowner in society and eventually it turns into a spiral and you start to create physical harm in the real world. So you, you saw something on Facebook, you watched a lot of it, agreed with a lot of people, decided to meet up somewhere. And next thing you know, you're burning down a building that you thought, you know, had, had children in the basement cause they're, cause someone had a, was pontificating that there's just something happening in there. Nothing can be happening at all, but it's just all conspiracy and rumor. And that's what Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these other, 
I know Facebook and Instagram are the same company, but all these social platforms do is they try to figure out the algorithm to keep your attention and negative keeps your attention more than positive. Like you and I, we're in, like, we're investors, right? If Josh came up, someone came up to you tomorrow and was like, Hey, um, I have a stock that's going to make you a million dollars in three years. You'd probably be like, I know what I'm doing guy. But if he's like, Hey man, there's a stock in your portfolio that's going to go to zero and crush you. You're like, all right, give me 30 minutes of your time. I'll sit down. What, what, what's the stock? I'll listen. That's kind of like how I view it from an investing standpoint. That's a very good point. Um, in terms of you actually hit that on the head <laughs> yeah, 30 minutes. Oh shit. We better listen to this one real quick. Um, you got? Yeah. Uh, that, that was a, a fantastic point. I was, I was trying to, I had, some, I had one more thing. Oh, I was going to tell a quick story of my wife the other day and she was just one of those typical, like we all have negative loops and we all get stuck in pessimistic loops. And I made a comment. It was like, you know, you always do this. And I was like, I don't always, I'm not always negative. I'm like, sorry. What I meant to say is when you get in these negative traps and you continue to think like this, you will always have a negative outcome and you will always add stress to your life. And so what I did is I took all these different scenarios and I said, okay, here's our, here's what you've just projected into life. What if I tell you this could happen? What if I tell you that, oh, in three years, this works out. In five years, we have this. In seven years, we have that. Maybe in 10 years, we only have this, but we have these three things, you know, how does that life sound? And she's like, oh, that sounds, he's like, I'm like, we're way closer to that scenario, the good scenario than we are in this terrible scenario that you just pointed out. And, it sounds like a pro marriage rant is what it sounds like. Hey man, the whole point of marriage is have someone next to you when you're drowning to be like, Harry, you can pull me up now. You know, when you're single and COVID happened in March, like what were those dudes doing? Like, ah, I saw it kill some people. They lost their jobs. They just mentally broke. Like. Uh, so we're social creatures, right? Like we like to go in our hole, but we want to have the option to be social. And, uh, you know, I know that was a tangent on your pro marriage, but it was a good point. I, I, you know, let's transition this into the next chapter. It says, when you'll believe anything, this is a, this is a good chapter. This is really the guy or girl who's down on their luck. And they'll just, they just, they just want to grab for anything and all things. Right. It's, I think there's examples in there about, you know, a dictator and his son got sick and, you know, all he wanted to do is get him healthy. So they just started just like jamming EpiPens in his heart and all sorts of just needles because the doctor said it would work. And he, you know, obviously no rational person would believe that. But uh, when, when, you, when you're out of options and you're down on, on the mat, you'll, you'll essentially believe anything. You, you, you just need something to latch on to that makes just a little bit of sense, even though it doesn't make sense. That's, that's essentially what I got from that. What about you? Yeah, I was looking, so I was reading through here, like, we, we largely like, we just forget like how much stuff will change and how much these random things will impact us. So it's like, we believe, you know, right here is the line I was looking for. We need to believe uh, we live in a predictable, controllable world. So we turn to authoritative sounding people who promise uh, to provide what we need, whether that's a politician, whether that's a CEO, like people want to, think that you know the line is up and to the right always and it just moves there constantly and they know what's going to be there they know they're going to get paid they know everything's going to be healthy but i mean i I have some stories of some you know employees where they go to the doctor one day and it's cancer and it just throws their world into like a wreck and it's really kind of a bummer um and that that's that's the things that can happen but people is to you they want to believe in things so they'll just believe what they want in terms of the things that are good you know like my 
the opposite. So my wife is thinking about everything that could be bad. I'm just thinking of everything that could be good. And people will want to believe, I, I want to believe the good. And sometimes I maybe overshadow what all could take place and what could go wrong, but it's what I choose to believe. And again, I'll believe what I want. I mean, yeah, you and I are both internal optimists. Like we, I believe most people are going to be good people. I mean, until they prove me under otherwise, but the whole believing, you know, when you believe in anything, I mean, this not from, let's just take away finances for a second and just think of like, that's what the the far right and the far left are. Is like, you guys are just too fanatical and too evangelical. 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 Evangelical about things. Evangelical. Yeah. Evangelical. Yeah. And like, that's why when you see people signing up for Antifa, it's like, God, you're really great. Like, you'll believe anything. Like, you, you really think Trump just, you know, put, toxin, put toxins in Flint water? You think he did all these things? Like, you think he's the one who lost your job? Like, people just need something to look at and be like, fuck that guy. And, uh, and then they get to that point, they join these radical groups and conspiracy theories and, you know, 99.9% of the people in the world are just like you and I, like they're just, just really pretty much in the middle, just want to have a good life. They can only control a handful of things. And then you kind of get these people who want to give up for the greater good and, you know, the suicide bombers in Japan. And you're like, you'll believe anything. Like there's people that will manipulate you. And, um, usually they can get you at a very tender moment. And it's if you can get married, maybe that helps, but you know, just like, how can you stay disciplined? Really? The idea of the idea of psychology of money is really just to stay disciplined in life and just know who you are and not try to shy away from it. Like you're a manager, you're a manager. Are you a coach? Are you a coach? Are you a student? Are you like, know who you are and what you're good at and lean into that and try not try to jump out into things that you don't know enough about. Cause someone's going to crush you and take you along for a ride. I think that's very well said um, and kind of moving into some of these, like he goes chapter 20 is his confessions in the book. And I think a lot of these we relate well to. Um, I'm just going to kind of rip through a couple ones that I thought were kind of important, you know, derive pleasure from free or low cost activities, um, exercise, reading, podcast, learning. Like I love podcasts and I love going on walks and listening to podcasts. I mean, it is one of my favorite things to do and it's free. Like, it's like, Oh, I'm coming home. Quarantine is like, I am going out for a walk, play the podcast in bang. That's something that is enjoyable. Um, and you can do it for free. Yeah. There's, there's a, it, I mean, that's really the, the bottom line of our entire podcast is just, you know, read books, get smarter, just try to do anything you can to be happy. Uh, yeah, ideally free if you can. I mean, do you have any do you have any tips for the listeners on things that they, other things they can do for free to just stay happy? Maybe we'll start I mean, exer- exercise is really good. Learning in general, just learning makes people. My, my wife, God love her, you know, she's learning French right now for no other. Yeah. She just wants to know it. She's like, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I don't have any interest in learning another language. I like learning about money. She does it. Like that's awesome though. And and through her, I will learn some French naturally because I have to. Yeah, I mean, did you plan on going to France, or is it just let's let's just let's just be bilingual because I can. Switzerland, that's I think they speak uh, French yeah. over there. I don't think they have a language. That's quite the power um, move to learn French. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. So I'm looking at through some of these other confessions. I'm just going to ask you about one that that sticks. Out. I'm going to see like uh, he no longer invests in individual stocks. They're all in low cost mutual funds. Right, what do you thought? What do you think there? Uh, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent on anything, but I, I started investing a lot into software index funds. So I'm very bullish on that, but I, but I do like, there's just no way 
like everybody's has well, I talk about it for like 10%, 15% of them just wants, you always have to have a home run ball in my opinion. And, and you can only achieve that through stocks and not an index fund. Like you can get wealthy in an index fund, but you know, to hit the unicorn, like a Bitcoin or what I believe is Palantir or heck zoom, right. And zoom was at like 30 bucks, like not March, like to hit that as an individual stock and you need enough capital to go all in to basically make your 700% return. So uh, I disagree right now. Maybe when I'm in 20 years and I'm in my 50s and I'm pretty and I have a pretty good nest egg, uh, I still would always gamble on a couple stocks here and there because there's 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 some things that you just look at. And you're like, this is going to change the world, and, and I know if I could put some money behind it and just live with it, I know I'm going to be exponentially better in the future. And that, if you can just take that that idea, and that's what I've started. My approach is start looking at things that you know are going to grow because they're going to be around for a while. Um, when I say a while, like it's going to be the next thing or it's just going to be a company that it's going to start a new category potentially. So what about yourself? Yeah, I'm actually not in that at all. Like I'm <laughs> the minimum you could be in uh 401ks, but this is just like, I'm the minimum. Uh, yeah. we try to, we're trying to rate my wife up, but listen, I take the money. I do some options trading that I think is going to work out well. We'll see how it works out in the long run. Um, I invest a lot of Bitcoin, uh, I do real estate, uh, that I'm trying to invest in for cash flow. So it's like, I'm pretty diversified. Like I have a bunch of different things going on. Uh, I'm not like rolling it all into weekly expiration call options. Um, I'm, I'm trying to do some very tactful things, but again, I'm trying to catch a rocket ship because I, I just think I can't, I think if I put enough effort into it and I learn enough and I study enough, like I can find a couple outliers, um, that will, you know, help me propel into some of my goals. And one of the other things is I like it. So it's easy for me to do. Like, I like doing this. Like I like hunting for these things. I like learning this stuff financially to try to capture an edge. And while I don't have what the big large companies do, like um, I just think, you know, if you're willing to kind of grind it out, learn for yourself and just keep kind of a small um, little nest egg set aside that you never touch. And that's like a rule. Like we have, you know, he says right here uh, at the end, he keeps 20% of his assets in cash, like of his liquid assets outside of his primary home. I'm like, that's just a smart, like that's smart to do. Like we have a large cash position um, that we can just sit on and understand that, Hey, if stuff goes, does go South, we're, we're like the investments, we don't need them. So it's like, we don't spend any money on the investments. We're just going to have to let them sit there and, basically just delete Robin Hood off your phone for a day. <laughs> yeah. Or just be prepared for what you believe is the next big thing. And you, you need to have cash on hand in order to hit the unicorn too. That's what, what we talk about is, you know, the luck and the preparation and the opportunities. Like when the opportunity comes, you need to be prepared for it too. Like oppor opportunities come all the time. I'm sure sometimes you're just not prepared for it. So you just can't capitalize appropriately. But I do love money. I love the psychology of money. I thought he wrote a good book. I would say overall, uh, well, I great. lost you there, but I, what I'm going to finish up with is three key elements of Housel's approach. Like he loves a high savings rate. We've talked about that with Mike on a previous podcast. We've talked to that today, uh, saving 30 to 40% grind until you can get there. And then there's patience. I don't show a lot of patience in some of my investments. Like I do like, so I have the real estate, I'm building a foundation with that. And that is a patient play. I am, that is not a get rich quick. That is a get rich, slow game plan. So that's the patience. I'm using real estate to kind of build that foundation. And then this is my favorite 
this one we just talked about long-term optimism oh, yeah. we said it like we're both very very long term so what would you say to your savings rate your patience and your long-term optimism i mean they're all pretty damn high yeah they're very high because I, I don't have a lot of debt if any uh i don't have, yeah i don't have any debt a lot of my disposable income or money i generate on the side just goes into just just investing that's what i do with all my money all my money goes into investing in some form or another um you know, I already own a home. I already own most of what you need in a home. I already have two kids. I already have, uh, you know, a lot of things waiting for me. So I, I would say a lot of my, my cash, I do have quite a bit of cash on hand right now. It's more than I would like. Uh, I, I tell you about this all the time. Like I, I need to invest some of this into something cause I just have too much cash on hand. Uh, but that cash is, is for me to capitalize on a rainy day. And there's some things that are coming that I believe in. There's a stock that I'm really bullish on. You have one too. Um, I haven't put enough money into it, but I want a real investment property. So those are things that I'm just ready when that opportunity hits. Um, so I, I, I'm all over the board, but, but it's a, it's organized chaos. Again, we do these types of podcasts to show you that not everyone thinks the same and not everyone has the same goals and not everyone has the same risk profile. Uh, he says here, all of his net worth consists of a house that he paid all cash for a checking account and Vanguard index funds. It's not me. It's not you, Grant. Not going to be a lot of people, but he likes to keep it simple. And it's a very easy, nice life. And you will be very happy if you decide to go that route. Now, me, I'm trying to hit home runs. Yeah. That, I mean, it's the new MLB, right? You either strike out or hit a home run. So that's a boring life. You know, I mean, what a, what a, what a, what a fun guy to be around Vanguard index funds all day. Like you can only talk so much about those and just watch the paint dry in the room while people walk away. Like I, as much as he wants to get wealthy that way, there's so many other different ways to do it. And I think you and I found a little bit more of a vibrant eccentric, like a uh, fun way of doing it and, and having a good ride along the way. I mean, that guy just, just wakes up every morning, takes a cold shower and drives to work. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a hundred percent. I'm out, bro. <laughs> the, yeah i'm out what's great though is a lot of our listeners are going to be able to follow along with our journey to see if these things do play out because this podcast is going to be around a while and we're definitely going to talk about our successes and i'm sure i don't know what those failures are going to be i can't predict project them but i know they're coming i know they're going to get i know they're going to whack us pretty good um so that we're gonna we're gonna see what happens from there all right you want to close this off all right well, everyone, that was our podcast, our review of the psychology of money. Uh, we are rolling into, I think next week, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but they're bouncing around a couple of nice financial ideas. Once again, to help you get ready because luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So get ready.